filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. There is too much damn soccer for us to talk about anything else to start the show. So uh, we're going to jump right into it. Um, I'm Adam. I'm joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United, other things happening in soccer, of which there are many right now. Tonight, we are talking about DC United's 3-1 to win over Minnesota United good enough to put the original MLS United into third place in MLS's Eastern Conference. We're going to look ahead to DC United's visit to Orlando this Saturday. Uh, watch it at 7.30 on NBC Sports Washington Plus. You gotta, it's the overflow channel because there's another sports preseason game, so you get preempted when that happens, apparently. Uh, the glories so, of being back with Comcast Sportsnet. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can also watch it on Teleexitos and Espanol, uh, stream it on dcunited.com if you're in the immediate area or on ESPN plus, if you are further afield before we talk about any of that though, Ben, what are you drinking? Tonight I'm having, uh, sometimes I, I, people know I drink a lot of tea and, but sometimes I don't want tea in the evening and I don't want hot things in the evening. Um, I wanted something more like infused water, but not as uh, uh, precious and or twee as infused water. So I just poured a bunch of my herbal tea fixins into my mug and then poured water on it. So it's kind of like infused water, but with herbal tea instead of cucumber or lemon. Okay, this is like blood or hibiscus. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes, it's a good combination. No, I didn't let it sit. I just like started drinking. Just like, like I said, it just barely infused light flavors. And I also I'm lazy and I wanted to start drinking immediately. Fair. Lazy and impatient is, I, I respect it. I do. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I just finished dinner a little while ago and I wanted some kind of after dinner drink. Uh, I wanted a drink that was both an alcohol and also something that had some sort of dessert element to it. And the best I could do which isn't bad, but it's not exactly what I wanted, but it's the best I could do is uh, just some Van Gogh double espresso vodka on the rocks. Um, so I'm getting my Classic. my coffee flavor, um, kind of like a black Russian, but stronger because it is vodka. It's not diluted down by a liqueur like Kahlua. It's just, here's, here's everything you wanted in a black Russian, just like condensed and made stronger um, because... Uh, that's a product that exists uh, that I'm glad I didn't know at the age of like 24. Yes. That it existed. I'm glad no one taught me that because that would have been dangerous knowledge. Yes. I do feel like the cocktail in pure vodka form that you don't have to mix and is stronger falls in line neatly with Ben's lazy and impatient. 
in a very good way. Like <laughs> just it, it's trying to get to the point. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't know if mine can fit into that theme or not. Um, I have a rye mule. I don't know. It should have a location or a city like Moscow mules, vodka, Kentucky mule is bourbon. I don't know what a rye mule, like what a mule made with rye should be called. Um, so this is district made rye. So I'll just call it a district mule. Why not? We're going to own this one. There you go. I like rye whiskey. I like Somebody... DC. It fits. Somebody online, I guess, I think it is a Maryland distillery, is calling it a Maryland mule. They would. Jason, do you know Sagamore Spirit? Yeah, uh, they make a rye. It's a pretty good one. Uh, So it's not too surprising to me that they would then... um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that there is a little history with rye. Not that it's like Maryland did not invent rye. I'm not going to Seattle this thing. Um, (laughs) But... uh, there's a there's a history of of Maryland and rye being a little more of an attachment than uh, other spirits and other maybe other states that don't have a specific we created this spirit kind of background. So I'm not not too shocked that someone would be like let's 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 claim this thing. Let's put our flag in the ground. I'll have to think about whether I can I can cope with it being a Maryland mule or if I'm going to insist on calling it a DC mule, maybe I'll compromise and call it a DMV mule. Well, no, it's, it's that'd be bad. Branding. Well, like, a Maryland mule Cause they're from Maryland. And also the fee here is, is just, there's no point to it, Adam. That like, there's no, there's no Virginia claim being made right now. You're just giving oh, that's them a good point. nothing. That's a good point. Um, we'll have to, we'll have to work on this. If you have a, if you have a suggestion for yeah, how to go. cut Virginia out, uh, hit us up on Twitter at filibusterdcu. Catoctin <laughs> Creek makes a very good rye. Have they made a mule with it? Does their Do website you know call a it a Virginia mule? <laughs> that they have made a mule with their rye whiskey at Catoctin Creek, which is a great little distillery out there. Uh, a Smith Bowman Distillery in Fredericksburg has a Virginia mule recipe. Of course. So Okay, so everyone's back, in on this. Yeah, we're back to... Is it with rye? No, it's actually with Virginia vodka. Okay, so that doesn't even count. Okay. That's that's not even a thing. Yeah. Come on, Virginia. Do better. <laughs> this is why they took Kentucky and West Virginia away from Virginia. Claiming drinks that aren't there. Thank, thank you. <laughs> it does Let's sound not get into like, that. Let's get into the saga. Let's in, come in on, come that on. era. It does sound like a reason someone might have broken up <laughs> uh, colonial uh, state claims and just be like, "This is as good a reason as any." Like that, we don't agree that those guys drink drink claim is legitimate. So we're breaking this this large space of land into chunks to to separate this uh, to situate to calm the situation down. There are whole ass mountains between you and their whiskey is different than your whiskey. So we're going to make them a different state. Got to draw a line on a map over this. There was, there was a much um, more nefarious reason why West Virginia was taken away. Uh, Much more serious than silly whiskey jokes. Anyway, DC United made it four straight wins at home and two straight overall jumped into a position to host a playoff game with a win Wednesday night, three to one over Minnesota United uh, penalty kick scored and missed from Ola Kamara, uh, Julian Gressel's first goal of the season and junior Moreno's first goal ever in a DC shirt were more than enough to overcome a fluky set piece goal by Bakaya Debase. Um, 
and uh, United ran out easy winners on this one. Jason, Minnesota, like even when it was one to one, they never looked like they were really in this game. Uh, uh, there are many different expected goals outlets. They all have different metrics that are all, you get a little variance, not big variance. You're not going to see one saying, you know, sometimes there's a dispute over whether to count penalties or not. That's about it. Um, one of the, one of the ones that we're going to be referencing in our piece tomorrow that, uh, would have been out today had I not been waylaid by uh, some other stuff. Um, but one of the, the, the 11 Tegan 11, um, Twitter account, uh, put out a plot that noted that, uh, Minnesota's expected goals from open play in this game were 0.09. Um, and their total on the night was 0. 0.20. Uh, so Debassi's header is essentially, is their best chance of the game. Um, and also arguably their only chance of the game, um, I you might be able to get like 0. 0.09 out of the press box against DC United. Um that's the degree to which DC dominated this game. Uh this was yes it was Minnesota without Reynoso, which is a huge deal. We we talked about Reynoso uh for a reason. Um they left him out entirely. Apparently they wanted to manage his minutes. Their games on the weekend are back in conference, so it makes sense. Um but what they did instead was play five four one and just basically show up looking for a draw. Um, no if ands or buts. There was not much of a consideration from Adrian Heath that this was a, a a game that they were trying to win. If they could snag something, great. And if not, oh well. Um, which at that point, it's like, why don't you rotate everyone? Um, if you're going to punt, actually punt. Um, and instead, he well. They did at the 60th minute. They rotated Yeah, eventually everyone. it was like, okay, fine. Um, this isn't working. <laughs> um, we got to do something here. But uh, yeah, DC, in that, in that position, when a team comes to town with that mentality, uh, you have to punish them uh, for it. And thankfully, we saw DC really dominate the game. There wasn't uh, too much of a mystery, you know. When Debassi scored, DC got their equalizer almost immediately, and it was very, a very emphatic response. It was not a heads drop response. It was like, no, 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 we're going into halftime with a lead. Uh, this is a game that we are in the lead in, not a game that you are tied in. That's not happening. Um, and full credit, they did that. Um, they saw the game out well, really should have had more. Um, this was yeah. not a game that should have finished only yeah. 3-1, I feel like, or or at least it should have been 3-1 earlier. Um, yeah, one of three one flatters Minnesota in this yeah. one. Um, but yeah, just a, a comprehensive, uh, strong performance from United, uh, especially in terms of just making it so that Minnesota's plan is clearly to absorb pressure and draw United's numbers out and then hit on the break. And DC did a great job of making sure that those counters didn't really ever amount to anything. Sometimes they managed to carry the ball into DC's attacking third, but even then, they get there and that's the moment where you think, oh, the defense is going to be scrambling. Things are going to be disorganized because it's a counter. Everyone's just sort of sprinting backwards. Instead, Minnesota would look around and have nowhere really to go with the ball and it would get shut down. One one thing that stood out to me when DC United was defending Minnesota counters was it seemed like every time that they that uh, that uh, Minnesota was trying to advance the ball, DC United was just able to 
the DC United defender was able to just like reach around and just like poke the ball out of the way. And it seemed like they did 20, 30 times throughout the course of the game. Uh, and it, the, Minnesota may have recovered the ball uh, so, some of those times. Uh, sometimes it sprung DC United uh, re-counters, but they never let Minnesota get into like a confident counterattacking flow. It was always they make one pass, they make another. And, oh, the ball gets coughed up, gets poked out. They have to reset, and then DC United's back in position. They've been able to use that time to reset their defense. So I, I think I feel like. Just those little things uh, that DC United was doing in defense, but everybody was doing it. It was like all across the field, and it never they through that and through their traditional uh, pressing action, they just never allowed Minnesota to get into a comfortable offensive flow. There were moments United were winning so many second balls out here that it, there were moments when I was like, "Did I miss a red card? Are we up a man?" And I just didn't realize it because. United always had an extra man everywhere on the field. Um, and it was like, even when they had Andy Nahar forward um, after a long spell of possession, because Minnesota was letting United possess the ball uh, almost to avoid being pressed. Yeah. And even with Andy Nahar all the way up in the box, if the ball turned over and Minnesota put it out, you still had Burnbaum and Pines winning it every single time. And then the ball would come into the midfield and, Canaus or Moreno would pick it up every time. Or Felipe, rather. Um, Yeah, Blon Felipe. Moreno later in the game. I mistook for Canaus several times. Yes. um, Because I'm very used to there being, if there's a question in central midfield, you've at least got hair color to differentiate quickly. And in this case, I was like, uh, oh, which one was it again? Hold on. And Felipe is his, his newly blonde hair, which we haven't commented on on this show, but uh, the platinum and blonde hair has been spreading through the locker yes. room. Yeah, I think Polariola, it started with Tony it's Alfaro. Platinum, I, it's not so platinum, though. It's... His isn't, but Tony Alfaro's is. Andy yes. Nahar's is. Paul Ariola's is straight is, blonde. Yes. Um, right. And and Felipe's is almost a tawny color. It wasn't. It's not as bright yeah, I, as Ariola's. Yeah, that's almost like straw. Yeah. Yes. Um and and that's very similar to Russell Canaus's hair color. Yeah. If it had been real if it had been like Paul Ariola's, you know, 1990 late it 90s. It helped a little. Uh, Felipe help us hair. out. Help me out from the press box. Uh sometimes the game moves the fast other. and and you look down to type something, you look up and you just see at what what is now a series of blonde men uh doing stuff and and it can be um He's got to bring uh, the facial hair back, so you at least have that to go. Yeah, that would help. Um, Yeah, the uh, the at some point during our during the game um, or early in the game, um, Rick, who does the the fantasy report for our site, um, asked the asked a pretty good question, which was, "Is there normally this much space in the midfield against Minnesota?" Um, And (laughs) it really was up because. DC, despite, you know, Minnesota playing pretty compact, DC just made them chase so much that there's always someone moving into a position where there was time and space on the ball. And so over and over again, and it wasn't one thing. It wasn't DC doing, let's just do this over and over again. It was different players, different times. Um, What Losada refers to as organized chaos. This was a great example of that. He brought it up in the press conference. Um, about how how happy he was with that aspect of things where 
as long as the players are making the right runs, he's not necessarily concerned where they're making the run from as long as the structure stays the same. And so um, if you look back at Junior Moreno's goal, for example, um, don't watch Moreno, watch Andy Nahar. He wins that tackle, and then he ends up being in the center forward run in the end. He makes the tackle that springs the play, goes to Edison Flores, and Nahar takes off in full sprint right down the middle going going to goal anticipating a rebound or a cross um and what allows that to work is that other players had cycled back so that his position was someone was in his spot so that if play broke the other way he had cover um Ola Kamara on the second goal normally we would all expect Julian Gressel to escape pressure on the touchline I mean on the touchline uh from the press box, you have a great view of that area of the touchline. You could see that the ball was maybe like 30% over, which is yep. not out. Uh, credit to the AR on that side for not picking his flag up because the ball didn't cross the line. But normally in that situation, it's Gressel crossing to Kamara. And instead, Kamara had pulled out wide, causing confusion. Gressel had dipped inside in making that overload that we've talked about before from the wingbacks going inside. And he ends up in a forward position. Not the center forward position. I think at that point that was Viola um, in that particular play. Um, but again, the moving parts with the system, as long as everybody is filling in for one another, so the structure of the attack is correct, even if the person in a given spot is not who you would expect to be there. Maybe it's Donovan Pines getting in a position to get like 5,000 people to yell, shoot at him. Um, I was one of which them. Was- which was very funny. Um, and also very funny that he was like, I'm going to make a pass, guys. Come on. <laughs> um, uh, poor, I, I do feel bad for Pines because he did later have a shot in this oh, game. Yes. Much different kind of shot. Oh, that, and I, it almost worked. I, I oh, still think he should have been given player of the week just for he, having the audacity I as a very large human to try a bicycle I kick. And that the universe go back it like i need the doctor to get the tardis go back in time and make that <laughs> shot go in i mean he, he, good I, news a good news for fans he did say that he he tried it in soccer tennis and um he will be willing to try it again he seemed pretty pleased about the whole concept of it and now that it almost worked uh he, he wants to give it another shot he said uh, in this case, he actually had, he said that he had, I mean, maybe this is one of those things where as an athlete, time slows down for you. If you're that athletic, that you have this control over your body, that time does slow down for the rest of us. It, I'm sure it would have been a impossible physically, but two, like just everything would have been too fast. Uh, but he said yeah. for him, he noticed the ball coming towards him and that he was kind of not faced to head it on goal. And then he had time to look around and see no one was nearby. So then he knew he could swing his leg at the ball. Um, So Donovan Pines actually had time to like make sure it was safe to attempt a bicycle kick. Um, And, and then almost converted it. He said he really thought it was either. He's like, I wasn't sure if I was going to put it right in the upper corner or straight into the goalkeeper's hands. But those are the two things I thought might happen given where I was when I like had to look away from goal. Um, Yeah. And then he just didn't quite we, rotate his body enough to, yeah, to get it on frame. Three. A little bit of a um, World Cup 94 Marcelo Balboa. Um, there's a pretty famous bicycle kick miss from yeah. him in the World Cup that if it had happened at that point in time, it would have been like the image you associate with soccer in America. Um, but instead, it right. went just barely wide. And, you know, a nerd might bring it up on a podcast uh, 27 years later, but huh. Um, huh. it's not an enduring... Is. 
an enduring image. And I will say this. If you had to bet on someone scoring a bicycle kick on this team, Donovan Pine seems able because he's able to contort himself in this way. We've seen it before defensively. Um, yeah. And now we I, apparently it's going to become maybe a thing on the offensive side. I, I need own- this. I didn't know I needed this until last night. And, and now I need this in my life. I need a Donovan Pine's only- bicycle kick goal to happen. My only question is, is he too large? Like, do the physics allow it because of his his height to actually saw it. put it in the goal? It, it didn't go in the goal, Adam. No, but he that did, was, the, the, he did the mechanic. Almost. In, in its way, that's like the easy part. Um, I mean, it would be a say, really shame. I mean, I was there. I would have been among the casualties because if that ball had gone in, Audi Field would have collapsed. There's just <laughs> no way around it. And I, it would have been, I, yeah, if you have to go, that's that's a good one. That's a good way to go. I will say um, on Pines, on like a more serious note, um, Adam, you mentioned that the center backs were winning those balls when whenever Minnesota even had a, a hope of trying to make a counter. Um, and I this is something I highlighted in the preview, that because of the space Minnesota, and this was thinking of Reynoso mostly, um, that they want to attack in into space, that that was going to be something DC was at risk of, and that the defenders were going to be winning, having to win a lot of individual battles um, in isolation, just the way that this game was shaping up when it was expected that they would probably start Reynoso, because this is the, this is the first time they've rotated him out to this extent. Um, this was not a new, or this was not an established pattern. This was a new one uh, from Adrian Heath. And in the game was different. He obviously didn't have to deal with those through balls. But I will say even early in the game, um, there was a brief moment where Ethan Finley got isolated against him and he snuffed it out completely. And that kind of summed up the game from a defensive, when when DC had to do defending, when it wasn't pressing, it was defending. Um, That kind of summed it up that they were able to just squelch these attacks so easily. Um, And, you know, like you said, Ben, it was a lot of just really good tackling where, these weren't tackles that required putting a body into someone and knocking them down and having a referee let it go. It was just, I'm getting the ball away from you. Um, I'm I'm going to put my foot in, knock the ball away from you. And because we are competing at a higher level than you, someone else on my team is going to go get that ball that's now loose. And this happened all over the field all night long. I mean, that's one of the, the things I've loved about – the Ernan Losada era so far is whenever a ball pops loose, whether it's in the opposing box, whether it's in uh, uh, midfield, no matter where it is, it always seems like a decided player is going to get there first uh, to recycle the ball, clear it, whatever the 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 time uh, uh, demands of it. It seems it felt to me like in the late Ben Olsen era, it seems like East United were never getting to those balls, especially like second balls after an attack to recycle the attack uh, and, and have it start over again. It seems like DC United never got those balls uh, a couple years ago, but now it seems like they are more and more and more often. And, and, and that owes itself to uh, one, the fitness level uh, being raised yes. um, as yeah. much as, as much as it can be about like the mental side of the game and, and a, a new coach finding a new way to inspire players, because, you know, some of that is like, if you're, you know, Olsen was here for 10 years, if you're tired of someone's message and last year's players, they were clearly 
not buying in to also was saying what, what also was saying um, when you're trying your best, but you're not at that inspired level, there's no replicating that. Um, and so that manifests into things like winning second balls. Um, there's a reason why we say a team quits on a coach. And some of that is like, you just see them, you know, it's not like they're visibly like, I'm literally going to stop running in this game. They are still running. They're just not, not running as fast. They're not thinking ahead. They're not as engaged. Um, DC's players are as engaged in every game as there is anyone in the league right now. Um, they're fitter. Um, so they are faster. Their, their acceleration is better. Um, and so it's that it's, it's a great combination of those factors. And, and also I think that tactically they've come to understand what they're supposed to be doing more. Um, it is more regimented. They're thinking less. They're, yes. they're, they have the automatics that Losada was talking about all spring. Yeah. And, and, you know, Olsen's way of approaching things, regardless of which season we're talking about, there was a lot of freedom given to players. And that sounds good. And sometimes it can be very good. The revolution have a similar approach to things. They give their players a lot of freedom to figure it out on the field. Um, But this group of DC players maybe needed to be given more of a, not a script necessarily, but more of a structure to play out of. Um, I mean, you, if Losada is referring to the way he wants to attack as organized chaos, he's obviously not scripting every movement. It's not to that level at all. (laughs) Um, But there is more of an understanding of if I do X, this is what has to happen. And, and if, if the guy next to me does this, then I have to do that to make up for it. Um, or, you know, if I look up and Julian Gressel has pulled into central midfield, uh, if I'm Russell Kanaus, maybe I can peel out wide. Um, or if I'm Andy Nahar, and most likely this is what's going to happen, is if I'm Andy Nahar, I, ha- I can go even further forward now. Um, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm Paul Ariola, I have some freedom early in the game when I see that they're playing five, four, one, instead of what we had planned for the four, two, three, one, maybe I pull in underneath and I bring, you know, I tell Jordy Reyna like, Hey, tuck in a little bit. I'm going to drift in underneath two forwards just to see if I can find some space between these two, because they don't have the obvious player. Like they're more of a double pivot than they normally are when they, when they set up in this game. Maybe I can find some space there, but that means that other guys have to adjust to me to do that. And it just seems like everyone's on the same page um, and, and not having to even figure it out at length. This isn't a team where they, after five minutes, they sort through it and they understand it. It's more like, I'm going to do this. And everyone's like, got it. Don't you, that's it. That's like the end of the discussion because everyone yep. knows what to do rather than it being a thing where it's like, I'm going to do this and you need to do that. And then we'll do the third thing. And then if this happens, there's not a long list. It's just instinctual. People are picking up on what each other has to do in a given moment. And that's another way that you kind of eat up a team that Adrian Heath teams do have a little Ben Olsen approach in them. There is a lot of um, freedom within a system for them. He does like to have his players solve the game as they, as they go from what they're seeing on the field. Um, and in some cases that's very good, but as we're seeing with what Losada has brought to the table this year, there are times uh, where maybe you do need a more of a structure and maybe um, Minnesota might be looking back on this one and saying like, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot with this tactical adjustment. Um, I did see that, um, uh, Dunord, uh, Bruce Dunord tweeted out that in his view, at least he's been watching Minnesota forever. Um, 
that about 95% of the time they get away from 4-2-3-1, they look lost. And they looked lost in this game. They did. Um, full credit to DC for making sure that they looked lost, that they didn't have time to figure out how to really get comfortable playing out of a different system or even just how to get comfortable bunkering. They never got comfortable. They were always like, uh, this this feels like we're about to give up a goal. From from kickoff, it was like that. Yeah. You mentioned the expected goals models before. Usually a penalty is worth about three quarters of a of a, an XG 0.7 or so XG. You take those out, United still had two expected goals from right. non-penalties in this one. They dominated, and even against the bunker, they were creating chances. Um, and there are some bad misses in there. Andy Nahar had a bad miss. Jordi Reyna, Edison, Edison Flores... Flores. Yeah. They they all missed Kamara the goal. Put one over the bar. No, that was the Reina one. Never mind. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Even and with and the it doesn't even oh. count in the. It doesn't count in the expected goals with the Paul Ariola offside. Yep. yep. Could have been um, a step back and could have counted. Right. Um, and, and you know the the fact that they won two penalties. I'm sure there's someone out there that likes Minnesota. That's like, oh, well, you give them two penalties. Of course, they're going to win. Um, but the thing is like they were, they were stone cold penalties and it's the kind of penalty yep. you get from, if you put a team under constant attacking pressure, eventually someone's got to make a tackle. That's too difficult. This is also why in general, uh, you'll hear commentators and, and writers and anyone else that follows the game, begging players to get it, get into the box, to make, to get, to carry the ball in and make someone make the tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, because every tackle inside the box is a risk. Um, you're, you're not trying to make a tackle inside the box. You're trying to fend people off there. If you have to make a tackle, you're in trouble already. Um, and with DC, with the players that are here with Andy Nahar, with Kevin Paredes, with Paul Ariola, uh, with Jordi Reyna, you've got so many guys who have such quick feet and quick, they're quick over short distances that, it becomes so difficult uh, you know, in this game, we got a penalty kick won by Russell Canals, who's not even one of the players you think of as <laughs> winning penalties on this team. But then you don't think of Junior Moreno getting into goal scoring positions, obviously, since he'd right. uh, gone 90, 90 appearances in regular season play and two more in playoff play, plus Open Cup, even friendlies, preseason games. He had never scored in any of them. Um, you'd have to have gone to training to see him score a goal. Um, but that is this team. They are able to open up these opportunities for everyone. Um, and so maybe next time Donovan Pines does opt to have a go. Um, we're, if we're <laughs> ever going to be, if DC is ever going to be a team that gets a Bill Hamid goal, um, it's probably going to be in this Lozada era because <laughs> it just seems like this is a team that is capable of conjuring up chances for literally everyone. Now I really want to see the Bill Hamid, Jorge Campos set piece play that Losada I mean, and Ashton have next. in their back pockets <laughs> uh, on the penalties. I have thoughts about both of them that are very different on the first penalty. Nahar gets into space and dribbles into the box. And he, it was almost a carbon copy of the penalty he won against new England, where he takes a touch. That's that looks too long, but he's still in control and he manages to get his body to to bait the defender into lunging. It was Tejon Buchanan there. It was um 
I'm completely blanking on the Minnesota defender's name now. Um, uh, Chase Gasper. Yes, Chase Gasper. You're right. Uh, baits them into lunging in and there's, gets his body casually in between it and takes the foul. It, he's in total control of the situation the entire time. And right, he's just, so fast over that short distance that it's just like, oh, 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 you want to go for it? You yeah. want to go for it? And then he's back. Like, if you don't lunge in, he's perfectly happy keeping the ball and making a play. But if you lunge in, you're going to foul him every time. And he's just in control of that situation. The second penalty, I was actually disappointed that we had to accept a penalty there because we basically had a five on three going in and did not make the passes sharply or early enough or we didn't run that break as well as we should have Mm -hmm. and the ball ends up bouncing back to russell canals who forced the turnover i think at least he keyed the the original attack but just you have that many united players i think three of them were literally in the goal when the penalty happened because they had run up and the ball just didn't get there um i really want to see united score naturally not having to rely on a, a bailout after the the play falls apart to when you have chances that golden um like you just look at the play and it's like how did united not score when you just have a still of five united players running with many fewer defenders there um some superlatives some awards for for this week or non losada yeah this week because united or because mls played a full round of games midweek they're calling it week 28 even though it happened three days after week 27 and four days before week 29. Um, Hernan Losada is your coach of the week for the truncated week 28. And Andy Nahar is in the team of the week as well. Um, I still think Donovan Pine should be there both for playing well, but mostly for trying to get on the bike. I I, I think that that is an MVP worthy play on its own. He should be in the discussion. Well, and I think like, they do that annoying uh, goals drive progress little image, like with the Audi uh, logo for anyone who scores a goal on the team of the week. And uh, all of their midfielders in the team of the week had goals. And I was just like, did you actually watch what Russell Knauss did in this game? I mean, come on. That's a team of the week performance right there. Yeah. I feel like putting Losada as coach of the week is just like, they were so dominant. We can't pick any other players <laughs> to go in this um, because DC United would just be the team of the week in that case. And there's there's also the classic, like, these are teams that are not going to draw that much attention. Um, mm-hmm. Even though at the same time, there's a lot of the, the underlying data said both teams are very good. Um, but on a full slate of games with the Campiones Cup as well going on, which somehow Columbus managed to win. I don't, don't know how that happened. Um, it, you know, I'm not entirely shocked that it becomes especially on a Wednesday about did you score a goal or not um but there are a lot of guys in this game that could have been given that recognition um and that's really kind of underlines the the dominance of the performance that um Minnesota is a good team yes it wasn't them with Reynoso but this is not a bunch of bums this is a good team um and DC made them look like one of the worst teams in the league. Um, I, in terms of a comprehensive performance, I rate this one up there with the win over Philly, the three, one win in that bet, another three, one, I guess. Um, and I rate both of those games in terms of performance level ahead of the seven, one against Toronto. 
Um, the seven one against Toronto was like, what happens if you overperform your your uh, goals, expected goals, pretty wildly? Um, TFC, I think, in that game, ended up with almost two expected goals. This was not TFC got suffocated. It was that DC kept scoring every time they attacked. Um, whereas this game was Minnesota's attack could not get anything going. Um, 0.09 is is very difficult to do while still attempting shots. It's a it's a number you expect <laughs> to have gotten if you if you well, had one shot attempt. It's it's especially hard to get uh, that when you score a goal. Right. right. Yeah, the um, odds are so low. And, and of course, of course, it had to be a former DC United target to score the goal. Um, but uh, you know. I, I credit DC tremendously for in a game like this where you've dominated the game, you're up one nothing, and the other team happens to score out of out of nowhere. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, come on. And then you, you maybe want to take halftime to sort of, you know, uh do the, the Michael Sarah uh walk uh gif. You you wanna Yeah, be feel down for a second, you know, and then pick yourself up after the break and get back at it. And DC is not a team that wastes time. Uh, it turns out the, just like no. every game starts extremely fast. They're always starting like they've been shot out of a cannon. It turns out when you score on them at Audi field, they react by again, loading themselves up in the same cannon and doing <laughs> it all over again. So um, shooting themselves at your face. Yeah. Um, and so just uh, from a resilience perspective, from a, a focus and being unshakable kind of perspective, uh, really, really impressive. And that's those are some of the kind of things that are going to be valuable in the playoffs, which it increasingly appears that DC's going to be a team that gets in, though they're in third, but also by the end of the weekend could be back out of the playoffs again because everyone is one point behind them, like literally everyone. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it for for this game. Before we throw it to break and preview Orlando, um, we would be remiss as an American soccer podcast, not to mention uh, Meg Lanahan's report in The Athletic today um, that two players, uh, Sinead Farrelly and Mana Shim, came forward uh, with allegations of sexual coercion by coach Paul Riley, who until today, as we record this on Thursday, was the head coach of the North Carolina Courage. He was fired. He was relieved of of those duties after this report came out. Um, well after. Uh, yes, hours after it came here. out. It took most of the day uh, yeah. for them to realize yeah. that just being like, wow, that's bad, um, was not an adequate reaction. No. There's so much that you could talk about this. There, there can and elsewhere will be many episodes dedicated to talking about this because there's a lot of stuff that should never have been allowed to happen um, as a part of this. And we don't have time to go into it. We're not the right venue to go into it, all of it. But um, people smarter than us and, and uh, more plugged into this than we are are going to. But I, I want to praise the bravery of, of Farrelly and Shim in coming forward. Uh, th- the courage it takes to do that is incredible. We saw Kaya McCullough do similarly uh, with the abuse she suffered from Richie Burke here in D.C. Um, 
And and she rightly was praised for that bravery as well. I also want to shout out Meg Linehan, who reported the hell out of this story and did really important work really well. And there was not immediate, but same day accountability based Mm -hmm. on her reporting and the bravery of uh, the women involved. And I, I just don't have enough praise and and love for for the people involved in this and in making this story um as as impactful as it was yeah um it's a it's a situation that unfortunately was allowed to go on for so many years that it predates nwsl um but uh i will say that um beyond beyond everyone everyone that Adam just mentioned deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Um, it's also the kind of thing where uh, Alex Morgan lended her, yes. uh, her fame and her position as a legitimate world superstar to uh, not just backing the claims, but actually going on the record about it. Um, and then being uh, upfront about it during the day. Um, so it's the kind of thing where, people were pulling in the right direction. It's a shame that not every, I can't say everyone was because obviously you have clubs that hired him and then let him go and didn't say why they let him go. Um, This came to the head later in the evening in the same league um, where Fareed Benstidi was let go and the rain, OL rain never really said why they're like, well, we wish him well in his endeavors, which is not the same thing as saying this guy is bad. We fired him because he was bad. Don't hire him. Um, and, don't do this. And Merritt Paulson, we they found they found the tweets. Merritt Paulson was still praising Paul Riley years after they said that they it came out today that they said they fired him for cause. And it's just like it goes all the way to the top and of, of of teams and the league. And I feel like this is the time where ho- hopefully we can make sure that that. Houses are cleaned, that everyone is held accountable, uh, no matter how powerful they are. Uh, this needs to be a reckoning, and all of these people need to be, uh, who, ha- who have perpetrated it or helped cover it up, need to be swept out of the league. And we need to make sure, like, they came out today and suspended Paul Riley's coaching license. They need to do the same to Richie Burke. They need to do the same to Tom Torres. They, like, these people need to never be in the game ever again. Yeah. Um, and. and- you know, Adam, you mentioned uh, Meg's reporting. Um, this is also an example of, you know, Meg's a tremendous reporter, but also like what happens when you give people the backing to do that, um, whether it's making it a full-time job, which most soccer reporting in this country is not. Very little of it is done by someone who actually makes a living at soccer reporting. Um, these are the kind of things that don't get reported unless someone has the time. I, I don't know. I haven't spoken to, to Meg about how long this took, uh, but I'm quite sure it took quite a while. This is not something that you get in one phone call uh, or over uh, two interviews or something. This is months of work. Um, and it doesn't happen unless there is a platform that allows for it. So um, I guess this is an unpaid ad for The Athletic. <laughs> um, but uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already were subscribing to them anyway. But if you aren't, I would do that. Uh, we don't have here. a discount code for you, but you should sign up because the, the work say, they're doing is really good. I'll say this. I did get an email 
from them a while ago that gave me five guest passes that I've, I've tweeted about a couple of times that no one's ever taken me up on. I legit have five guest passes. If you are like, well, it's just the one article. What else is there? DM me. I have five. Uh, I will give you one of them, and then you can read the work that's there. But you, you should. You should subscribe just, to them if, if you can. Go do it. Just, bl- just blow up Jason's DMs. Well, for five, everyone five, of everyone listening to this, so, please yeah. slide into his DMs as <laughs> awkwardly as possible. Um, that will do it for this segment. We will be right back to talk about Orlando City. Please stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens, and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast DC United will take their uh, newly won winning streak on the road this weekend as they visit Orlando City Saturday night. The Lions have had a rougher go of it lately. They're winless in five, four of those are losses. Uh, They've essentially swapped places with DC over the last few weeks, falling from third in the East down to seventh, uh, while DC made the reverse trip up the table. Uh, Of course, that means they are all of one point behind United because everyone in the world is one point behind DC United right now. It seems like Um, my first, my my first thought is right now is what is wrong with Orlando city? Like these, these late season fades are not anything new. It's kind of par for the course for them, but usually it's because they overuse Nani and he gets tired. And when Nani gets tired, Orlando are crap. But he's been rotated and rested Mm -hmm. a fair amount this year. So I don't know if that's it or not. It might be. It might be that it just, when it gets, there's that much time in the heat and humidity of Orlando, you get tired. I would get tired, certainly. Nani is close to our age. He's probably Ben's age or a little younger. Um, Ben being the young man on this podcast. Uh, But I'm trying to figure it out and I haven't been able to yet. Uh, I mean, I think there's a certain amount of them. They've lost. They lost their way playing out of four two three one for a while there. Um, how they started the season, I think that's Oscar Pereja's preferred formation. If all things is all, all things are equal, um, it stopped really working. So they've been trying to a couple different approaches. They they've you know this past game against Nashville, 
Um, it seemed like they looked to play the Christmas tree. Um, they played a diamond against the Revs to try and Matt, they did what Matt Doyle has talked about on this podcast as mirroring. They tried to do that against the Revs. Um, against Philly a little while ago, they went to a back five. So they've been trying different things. They've been trying to tactically adjust, which is Oscar Preha has always had that in his, he's not a, the guy that plays one formation 20 games in a row. Um, but it's not really jarring much loose. Um, maybe the emotional catharsis of how they came back against Nashville, they were trailing two nothing. They came back to get a pretty dramatic draw out of that game in Nashville. Maybe that's time will... own goal. Right. Um, and maybe that jars something loose for them. Um, maybe that's just the kind of thing they needed where they, you know, these games are, haven't been bad losses and they're not, except for the Atlanta game. That was a bad one. Um, and they're not to bad teams. Um, all of these teams that they've lost to late, lately are in the playoff chase. Montreal being um, in eighth, they're the, the lowest standing of them. Um, getting a draw against Nashville, as we know, is pretty difficult. They beat Columbus. Um, you know, they beat Chicago. They did kind of what you do against the teams that are higher up uh, and also against the teams that are lower. Um, you should beat Chicago and Columbus at this time of year if you're in the playoff chase, but maybe you don't beat the Revs. Um, maybe you don't beat Atlanta right now. We know about how that goes. Um, at least DC's games against Atlanta were much closer than Orlando's, but they do seem to be kind of just drifting along a little bit. Um, and maybe it is like a, an emotional thing. Maybe it is a lack of new ideas. Um you know, Chris Mueller, I, I think, was questionable for the last game. He's lost his form, so you don't have that one more creative player to to drag you out of a game if Nani's being rotated or, or what have you. Um, you know, Daryl DK is there. He's scoring, but that seems to be about it. Um, Mauricio Pereira has kind of – he's just sort of – he's a very talented player, but he's just sort of been a guy in the league recently, so – Maybe it's just a bunch of guys losing form as the season's gone on. Maybe it's gotten a little stale and um, they needed a jolt. I don't know if a draw in Nashville is a jolt or if it's just a, you know, in this game in MLS, you happen to get a little lucky. As Adam said, you know, an own goal in stoppage time. You don't get too many of those. Um, so maybe it's that. But yeah, they they are kind of a little bit. Uh, it, their problem is a little mysterious to me because they've tried to address it. They've tried to make sure that Nani is fresh for this time of year. He didn't uh, start against Nashville or against the Revs. Uh, and I want to say, I, yeah, it's three straight games that he hasn't started. So it's not for lack of that. Um, it's just, it isn't working for him right now. And uh, that's great for DC. Not so good for Orlando. Yeah. Looking back over their, their schedule, their last win was, on August 21st at home against the fire, they won one to nothing before that. Their last win was July 30th, three to two over Atlanta when Atlanta was struggling. So they have one win in their last 11 league games and it was over the fire. Um, they, they like it, the, that four there's game a, a losing streak. There's a, oh, there's a win Columbus. in Columbus. Oh, there is. You're right. Right at yeah. the beginning of September. It's not as bad. It's still bad. It's still Don't bad. Yeah. So two wins in their last 11. Yeah. Uh, not just one. Um, apologies for that oversight. Uh, but 
still that four game losing streak wasn't exactly the beginning of their struggles. This has been been going on since the weather got really hot. So I don't know, maybe as it cools off again, they'll they'll heat up. I don't know. Um, you mentioned Daryl DK. He he went on a little bit of a slump, but he he seems to be back. He won a penalty in Nashville uh, in in very Daryl DK fashion. Uh, just got bear hugged in the box and and brought to the ground. It, it's even more of a stone cold PK than than either of DC's against uh, Minnesota. But uh, how's he doing? He was obviously in the championship uh, early in the year when Orlando was flying high. And so everyone thought they'd be even better when he got back. And yeah. that hasn't really been the case. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty weird one because um, generally speaking, if you add a really talented forward who doesn't have to do things all one way, um, you tend to get better. And he's played all right, five goals in, I think it's like 700-something minutes. That's not a bad return at all. So it's not DK that is the problem here. Um, but it is interesting that, Orlando, DK should have broadened their attacking range. He should have opened up options they didn't have before. Um, And instead, his arrival has coincided with them falling off the pace. I don't think it's why they fell off the pace. Um, I think they're falling off the pace in spite of getting the boost of getting him back. Um, But, uh, you know, obviously, physically, there are a few players in the league that can compete with DK. from a finishing and overperforming your XG perspective, uh, DK is uh, pretty much exactly the model for that. His performance in the championship was basically a like, wow, his XG says he should only have like six goals in this time. And he had like 20. Um, so this is. Oh, um, this is, this is not someone who is, um, I, I think disruptive or, or changing things, he's playing well. Um, I am curious to find, you know, some of the other players they've brought in, you know, uh, Sylvain uh, Vandervater or Sylvester Vandervater hasn't really been much of an addition. He's played plenty. I see him uh, getting time pretty frequently for Orlando, but I don't see impact out of him. And I think he was supposed to be a bigger deal for them. He's been fine. Um, guys like Nani, um, I don't know what's going on there that they're arresting him or maybe he has a knock. I don't know. Um, it just kind of across the board, it's not really DK, um, who should, if anything, simplify things for them. Um, and, and allow them if they're like, okay, fine, we're going to have to be very conservative. They're perfectly willing to play conservative soccer. DK should make them better at it by giving them that hold up option that they otherwise didn't have. And instead they just, they aren't quite able to keep it together. Maybe this is, um, you know, if you want to go further back, uh, maybe this is an issue with uh, their defenders. You know, Antonio Carlos was playing like a best 11 defender early in the year and has kind of faded. Um, I think he got a red card in one of these games recently. Um, uh, the rev or the union game maybe is when that happened. Um, so maybe he's not playing as well and maybe that's kind of fallen apart from there, but, um, yeah, it's a bunch of parts where you say this team should be doing well and you look at where they are in the standings. You're like, well, that's not so bad. But when you look at the pattern of their results, it really is. They're kind of banking on, they're still banking on what they did in the first 
couple months of the season. That's really what's got them in the playoff chase. Cause if the season started where they were at, like if the season started, if the first 10 games got cut off, Orlando would be down near the bottom. They would be, I think even worse than Chicago, I want to say. So um, it's not a month of bad form. It's like an entire summer. And now, now we're past summer of just kind of being indifferent. There's just not a lot going on for Orlando. They're not bad, but they're also, they've been kind of unimpressive for quite a while. Well, Jason, going back to uh, uh, Daryl DK, do you think that there's any uh, uh, Lucho letdown in Daryl DK's game right now? Do you think that he really wanted that, uh, that sale to the Premier League and has not been has been a little out of it because he didn't get that uh, eight figure deal to, to Barnsley. I mean, not necessarily because I think, I think Barnsley and Orlando sort of conspired. I mean, they probably didn't actively conspire, but they're both like, let's set a $20 million price tag here. Um, So for Barnsley, that means that maybe they keep everyone away and they can come in later for a lower amount. And for Orlando, obviously it's like, we'll pay 20 million. Um, and, and we can have that discussion. So um, I think DK probably would have been happy with that, uh, but he hasn't raised any issues about um, his return and, and his goal scoring, his performance uh, have not been bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I think on that front, he's probably dealing with it pretty well. Um, I think it's also a situation where, um, you know, Lucho, I think everyone knew that that was a like, if it doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen. Uh, situation the he was never going to be better than he was at the end of that season which has turned out to be accurate so far um dk could still get better um it just maybe not in orlando right now quite frankly because it doesn't seem like that's an environment where um he's playing well but also you need a bunch of guys around you playing well to reach that next level and he's not really getting that in orlando right now so um he he is definitely a player that um, I'm curious to see how DC deals because maybe they leave him up as one and only forward. And in that case, we've seen DC against Cincinnati very recently uh, alter their approach because they're like, well, we're playing with three defenders, but we don't really need three to mark one. Um, but Pereja has been so willing to switch things up that, you know, maybe – it's two up front. Maybe he brings, you know, Tesho Akindele in or, or Benji Michelle and plays with two. Um, maybe he goes to three up front. Um, it's all possible because Pereja is always willing to move the pieces around. He's um, and he's been doing that lately. So obviously he's still sort of casting around for like, which one of these things is going to get us through right now. Cause they're, they're a team that's kind of stuck in the mud a little bit. And he's just like, let's see if we can hit the lottery a little bit and find one thing that gets it going um, formation wise. And, and DC to their credit has been a team where you, you don't want to be in that situation when you're playing DC because they will, your uncertainty for them is like, is just perfect for them. They want you, they want a Minnesota coming in and being like, well, how are we going to approach this game if we're, we don't have Reynoso? Um, well, it turns out badly. Um, and DC wants to be, <laughs> the team that is on the other side of that. And they're good at exposing that. And that's the the challenge for Orlando is 
you know, if you're uncertain about what exactly it is you're trying to do at this stage of the season, how do you avoid getting exposed in games? And DC is a team where you don't want to be playing when that's the question hanging over you. Yeah. The Minnesota game, I think is interesting. Uh, immediate predecessor to, to this one because of the first meeting between DC and Orlando where Oscar Preha changed up his tactics uh, mm. didn't change the formation as drastically as Adrian Heath did, but Orlando City, which had been a team that wanted to play with the ball and be not just successful, but aesthetically pleasing as well, parked the bus when they came mm. to Audi Field. And this was early in the season. DC United had not quite figured out who they were yet, and they they couldn't break down the bunker, basically. And that was the first time Losada said, you know, congrats to them on the win. They earned it. 100%, but that's not how I want to win. I, I don't want to have to do that to win, and I don't think you'll ever see me do that. Uh, obviously, DC United, before Hernan Lozada, has done that plenty. Sure. Uh, but that was kind of what Adrian Heath tried to do, too, and United mm-hmm. ripped them apart. So I'll be interested to see if Pereja does it again. I think he's less likely to because he'll be in front of his own fans. On the road, parking the bus is one thing. Doing it at home is a little bit harder, especially if you care at all about aesthetics. Um, Mm. And I think Pareja does. I don't think it's the most important thing to him, but I think he does understand that when you're at home, you want to entertain your fans and not just win. But So I'll be interested to see whether he does that on Saturday or whether he tries something else, stacking the midfield maybe to which I think is the point of the Christmas tree that he he tried out that mm-hmm. didn't work in a previous game, but that gives you three defensive midfielders and two attacking midfielders. And you just, you have five V whatever in the midfield. Right. Um, so it'll be, I, I'm curious to see how they line up in this one and, and what the approach will be. And then how Losada counters it. It's, it's going to be a fun little chess match and hopefully it doesn't come down to those little changes and United just runs Orlando into their own goal several times, but uh, I, I'm definitely going to be curious about this. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of their issue too is um, you know, the, the fluency they've lacked. Um, Uri Rosella's list is questionable. Uh, thankfully, DC and Orlando, the, ga- the games are so close together that the game notes are already done for this game. And it's like less than 24 hours, just barely 24 hours after the last game. Um, but yeah, that does add some uncertainty for them when those guys aren't available. Um, those two players, Mueller and, and Roselle, um, Schlegel, Rudgley or Schlegel, one of their, uh, center backs who also slash goalkeeper in his case, yes. um, is suspended. Um, so he won't be available. He's been getting plenty of time. I, I don't want to say he's necessarily a starter for them. It's, it's been him and Robin Jansen sort of battling back and forth, or sometimes they play three, uh, center backs, but he's out. So that kind of reduces, uh, Pareja's options. Um, He's got three center backs he's been willing to trust. And when one of them suspended, it means you're probably not going to see a back three. Um, so the Christmas tree maybe becomes more likely or another diamond um, or, or some sort of um, four, two, three, one, maybe again. Um, there are a lot of ways they could go about it, but uh, I, I do kind of expect them to not completely sit deep, but I also don't expect them to come out wide open. Um, they're just, they're not playing well enough going forward right now to do it. Um, they're they're not in the kind of form that would allow them to take that risk. So 
I, I expect them to want this game to be more cagey and low on chances. And if this becomes a game where it's, um, we've seen DC have some games, especially early in the season where they pressed another team really high and, and caused a lot of disruption, but also couldn't get anything going without the, or on the ball themselves. Um, Orlando might be okay with that playing out that way. Um, and, and hoping for, you know, the game to hinge on assuming Nani plays, like, can Nani come up with something? Um, can we reduce this game down to very little, but you know, the fact that we have Nani gives us that advantage. Um, I, if I were in their shoes, I wouldn't like that as the risk I was having to take, but I also, I kind of don't know what else to say for them right now because it so much is not really working as planned that it almost kind of becomes a like, well, yeah, maybe you should just try and reduce the game down to um, the good old fashioned, which team's guy is going to make a play um, that, you know, we're plenty used to seeing in DC over the years. Um, But uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to rely on that against DC because DC so often makes it about the system is doing the thing. It's not, well, we signed this, this superstar guy, he's going to do the thing. It's the whole group. And generally speaking, the group tends to beat those teams that are needing that one guy to come up big. Cause you know, coming up big is hard. Um, you know, Nani scoring a goal of the week thing doesn't happen every week because it's hard to score goals like that. It turns out, even if you're very good, <laughs> there's um, a reason so, they're spectacular. Yeah. So, you know, my hope is that, that DC is able to, carry over their the form that they've been in in the in these games recently um and you know their road form hasn't been so good um they've been more mistake prone away from home um so that is maybe the biggest thing to watch is like can you keep the mistakes out of your game can you have the confidence that we see at Audi Field can you take it on the road to some extent um because I don't think this is this doesn't seem like a game where DC needs to consider the um three central midfielders that they've been trying to me. I think they, they can get away with, we're going to play this game with our normal approach. We don't have to alter what we do. Maybe they have to rotate. Um, you know, Ola Kamara walking off the field yesterday had ice bags on both calves. That could just be, Hey, we've got another game in two days, or it could be, you know, he's got some sort of minor knock. It's, it was not said in the press conference. So it's hard to say um, maybe DC rotates, but I don't think they have to rotate and also, change too much um i think they should continue trying to press with three up front and rather than having that um even even that little toggle thing that we saw against uh the fire where it was um or not the fire um which game was it there's too many yeah, with, games with Chris Gundrich yeah. shuttling right. in and out yeah right um i don't think they need to do that from the start i think orlando is in a state right now where the best approach would be to go to go to take the game to them to be to almost pretend like it's not a road game um to approach it mentally yep. like that yeah especially with two weeks break immediately after mm-hmm. this granted not everyone is going to have two weeks off a lot of united players are going to be traveling uh for world cup qualifiers including in south america for this but uh it might be worth it to to push the players that little bit further right now that said against Minnesota when they switched to three in the middle late in the game, um, Moses Nyman looked really good mm-hmm. in there and yep. junior Moreno got a goal after that switch. So there, there might be something there where United has a little bit more uh, 
push than they used to out of that that setup. I mean, so I, I, I don't. So I, I'm not advocating for it, but they might need to get good at it um, because yeah, they've had promise playing that way, but there's usually been some way that they've kind of undone the good work. There are those, these are those road mistakes that I was talking about. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of them have come when they've played, they've switched that system. Um, and maybe it just takes reps, um, but they might need that system for the playoffs. Um, because as good as things are going, DC, the chances are remote that they'll catch Nashville and almost are, I think actually mathematically impossible for them to catch the revs. Um, which means there's going to be a road playoff game. Um, it might be the first one. Um, it might be the second one, um, but it's going to happen. And if DC is going to get past that hurdle, they might need this ability, this this option to change things up. Um, it might really be the thing that determines whether they are a team that made the playoffs or a team that went deep in the playoffs. Um, because, uh, you know, more and more the MLS playoffs have become actually about tactics. It used to kind of be, who, which guy can make a play was kind of the whole league. It was a, everyone was hoping that their guy pulled the the right number uh, on the day. And and they got the, they got the good fortune of being the one that did the thing. Um, But more and more we've seen both teams adjust their tactics and succeed. You think of Tata Martino with Atlanta changing Mm -hmm. things quite a bit. We've also seen teams like Oscar Pereja's teams over the years, change Mm -hmm. their tactics and, do badly as a result of it in the playoffs so being able to change things up and succeed is the thing here and dc maybe maybe they could use some reps um though i don't think at this point in the season you want to give up a game and choose tactics based on a theoretical um because you're just especially a six-pointer like this yeah yeah um you mentioned mistakes and i think dc united uh last i checked which was a week or two ago maybe uh, DC United actually had the best expected goal differential on the road in all of MLS. And they only have two road wins to show for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when a team underperforms their expected goals or, or, you know, the expected results that much mistakes are probably a part of why. Um, and most of DC United's underperformance this year has been on the defensive end. They're pretty mm-hmm. close on, on the attacking end but they they've underperformed the defense. And a lot of those are those individual mistakes, goalkeeping errors, what have you. And, you know, we've seen less of that since Bill Hamid came back, which has been very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully that, that trend continues down in Minnesota um, or down in Orlando, rather uh, listeners who, who are, are regulars around here will know that this year I've been looking at how opponents handle pressing teams. Um, and Orlando hasn't handled the other pressing teams that well. Obviously, they handled DC United early in the year, but they've lost twice to the Red Bulls. They've lost to Philly. They did beat Philly once when Philly was was going through its struggles. Um, this is a team that doesn't seem to like the press that much, which I guess isn't that surprising. Yeah, um, especially if if they're a team that is also right now struggling to find good form. Um, being pressed is the last thing you want when you're a team that's struggling to find your best stuff. Um, the last thing you want is that team that is just like in your face for 90 minutes. And that's DC. Um, that is a team that is just (laughs) relentlessly trying to take the ball from you and deny you space all the time. Um, so 
you know, I am certainly not, I'm wary of overconfidence because DC's road record is what it is. Um, but at the same time, if I were Orlando and I were spinning the wheel for which Eastern conference team comes to town right now at this juncture in time, I would really be like, please not DC, please not DC. Um, because that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the recipe for them right now is they could use a team that wants to play mid block and sort of let the game play out. Um, in a way, I, I, I'm not saying that they, it would be better for them to play the Revs, but in a the, like a tactical way, it, on paper, it might. It's just the Revs are on such a roll right now, it kind of overwhelms any of that. But if you had a team that was less on a roll, but still played the way the Revs did, you'd be like, all right, that's more of our kind of game right now, where it's kind of like they're not all that concerned with what we do. Um, and they're not necessarily willing to organize themselves in a way that prevents us from doing what we're trying to do. They're just willing to be like, our guys are going to try and do what they do, and you guys can do whatever, and whatever happens, happens. I mean, that's kind of um, Nashville. Right, um, and Orlando might have might have been happier against that. Um, but yeah, going up against a team that just wants to harass them every inch of the field and make every single step of their game just a nightmare that's not great when you're trying to figure out how to play. Uh, maybe they get lucky. DC's had some bad luck as well as some of the mistakes on the road. But um, yeah, this one sets up pretty well for DC. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Orlando does not seem like a team right now that wants to play a DC game. And we keep one thing we've seen all year, win or lose, is that DC tends to get the game that they want to play. They tend to set the terms for almost everyone they've played all year long. And I I expect them to set the terms again, uh, heading down to Orlando and playing playing them. Uh, what I was almost said tomorrow, but that's a different game. Um, just yes, there's so many. It's it's merciless. Um, it, it, the game, the schedule is like DC United chasing us around at all times. <laughs> we are being yes. put under immense pressure all the time by the schedule, who is like DC United. Well, we're just going to lump the ball out of bounds right now and call it a show. Thank you all for listening to, to this episode of Filibuster. Find us at blackandredunited.com for all of our written material. You can uh, also support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. We will have uh, the opportunity someday to do separate episodes in a week again. And our patrons do get early access when we are able to separate the episodes. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, send us your, your drink name suggestions too from earlier in the show. Uh, download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, please tell a friend about the show. We love word of mouth around here, and that's just about the nicest thing you can do for us. So for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. When in doubt, kick it out. <laughs> <laughs>